Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the Church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Uh, today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. Uh, before we get into the topic for today, just wanted to remind everyone that if if you like this content, um, please do support us on Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash Gottesdienst. Uh, you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month or just a one-time uh, support to really pay for all of the back-end things that happen getting microphones for guests, uh, paying for the subscription so that we can host this. Um, really do encourage you to do that. Uh, also, go on to your iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and uh, give us a rating and even a comment. And that just helps this podcast get in front of other people. It, it affects the, the algorithm. So help it to, to get and reach more people. All right, so Dave, we are looking at the gospel reading for the 19th Sunday after Trinity. It comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. I'll read that in the English Standard Version. And getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. All right. Hey, I, I, uh, that translation is really better than the New King James, I think, in every place. Mm. Uh, oh, good. Yeah. Um, well, I like this take heart. Uh, I, I think that's a, that's a nice idiomatic way. Be of good cheer, it says in the New King James. Mm. It, it, I mean, it's the word courage, right? Be courageous. And then uh, the New King James has power instead of authority for exousin, which is, I mean, that's just, that's bad translation. Mm -hmm. Authority is the right word. So what did it have in verse 8 for the multitude saw it and they, does it say marveled or feared or wondered or what? They were afraid. See, that's better too. New King James has marveled. That's funny. There you go. Okay. Okay, so... um, in terms of context, not only in the church year, but um, particularly in Matthew's gospel, where you know where does this fall? Um, well, he still hasn't called all the disciples yet, um, and oh, he had just uh, cast out the demons into the pigs, and then he crosses the sea and comes back to to Nazareth. So, mm-hmm. not much has happened in Matthew's gospel, right? I mean, it's the beginning. Yeah. So, okay, so it's, it's his a, own city is Nazareth here. I was going to ask you about that. Isn't it? I don't know. I think I think so. <laughs> now, what? Got, what else would it be? 
I just assumed it was as well. Um, oh. I just was curious if if there were any other thoughts that people were, you know, that this is some other city. Mm. So, do you think he yeah, knew these know. people? Yeah, I mean, I think he's in Nazareth. I could that could be wrong, but I think he's in Nazareth. I think he knows these people, and I think this is part of their despising of him. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them, obviously, because you have these people that come with faith, but then you know this scribe that accuses him of blasphemy. Um, yeah. So in verse four, when it says knowing their thoughts, um, is this a function of being able to read the crowd and their actions and their discussions among themselves? Or does, is he really, is he making use of his divine rights here? I think it probably is his use of his, you know, a partial use of his divine rights and powers because it wouldn't have to be, but it seems that that's what that phrase probably indicates. I mean, other places it certainly does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and it does say that, you know, they said this within themselves, so they didn't say it out loud. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you've given presentations. Yeah, he could just know it. No, you're right. You he can, knows what they're You can tell when someone's yeah. <laughs> like talking among other people and yeah. saying, yeah, I'm not buying it. No, I, I agree. It could mean that, but I don't think it does. I, I think that in the Gospels, that's that's a phrase indicating Jesus using a partial uh, part of his omniscience mm-hmm. as a man, um, that he's not just assuming or guessing or basing this on past experience, but that he actually knows their thoughts and knows that they're accusing him of this, but they don't have the courage to say it out loud. Yeah. The word is so. enthemesis, uh, which is like thought or reflections. Um, it's not the gnosko. Does that make a difference? Uh, maybe I don't, that's not the normal. I mean, usually it's the, usually when we're talking about knowledge, it's usually oida or gnosko, not, not that. So, mm-hmm. so some, I guess I some people translate it perceiving their thoughts. Yeah. That would give more weight to the idea that he just can tell from the way they're acting and their past actions and the like, but mm-hmm. This, I mean, this is a this is a text though about his authority and exercising some of his power. So, mm-hmm. I'm going to stick with. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's a, a use of his omniscience. So yeah, Bdeg says it's dogmatic. The, it's the process of considering something, thought, reflection. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I kind of like yeah. it that he's just reading the the room. Okay. I mean, I, I I don't feel that strongly about it. it. It doesn't seem to me the way it reads, but it's definitely a possibility. <laughs> okay. <laughs> does it like it? Does it change? Like, so does it change the emphasis if it's taken as uh, Jesus making use of his, you know, divine powers versus? He's there among them. He can tell that he is, uh, his word and work has not won them over. And so he addresses them. In other words, is it a sense in which everyone else can tell as well? And so he wants to address it. And he's just reading their minds and calls it out. Does it change? Does it change anything? I think it, I think that if he is usually, 
his omniscience partially, then it's related to the whole argument about authority. He has the authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to look into people's hearts. He has the authority to, to heal. Mm. So, whereas if he is simply discerning, you know, what, what's going based on experience um, and wisdom and so forth, I mean, that's not as certain. Mm. So it's, you know, right. I mean, that's the world we live in where, well, I think this is what he's thinking, but, you know, I can't look into his heart. So I have to put the best construction on it. And then, you know, I have to kind of qualify it and be careful and right. So he's free of all of that. If, if it's his, according to his omniscience, and I don't mean to say that, right. It could be so obvious. I mean, in terms, if it's just perceives it based on experience, I mean, it could be so obvious that you know he doesn't have to go through that kind of, but no. it still doesn't have the same sort of certainty. That's yeah, all. I think you make a good point here because his his question to them is not something to the effect of it seems as though you're thinking evil in your thoughts, or he just puts it out. Why are you thinking evil in your th- in your <laughs> right. hearts? He he has a, a better grasp of that than just a casual perception of it. Well, and, and he goes on too that to, he recognizes exactly what it is that set them off, mm-hmm. right? So why do you think evil in your hearts? He knows why. It's because they think that he does not have the authority to forgive sins and, right, that they don't think, yeah, so. But he would know that anyway. He would know that that would be the stumbling block. I, yeah, yeah, I suppose. So. All right. Yeah. It, so it doesn't matter. We beat that horse, I think. Uh, <laughs> well, I I think it's a valid question. Well, I think there's a lot I of, do. I have a lot of questions in this text, right? I have, uh, let's see, I haven't written down. Oh, well, first of all, though, we should, assuming he's in Nazareth, right? That's this place of despisal. Mm-hmm. Uh, dis- is that a word? Despisal? <laughs> that's the place where he's despised. Um, you know, there could be this connection with Nazareth to the Nazarite vow also. Mm. You know, you have that in Matthew that he, yeah, you know, Joseph goes to Nazareth because he's warned in a dream, and then this fulfills the prophecy. He'll be called a Nazarene, and I like Gibbs' take on that. That uh, that has to do with being a despised person. But there is the it is you know there's been a lot of uh, people have gone with the whole root or a shoot out of the stump of David, yeah. um, which you know, whatever it is, it's a wordplay. I, I mean, it's either. And then, uh, or it's this despised person. And then also there is this kind of connection to Samson with the Nazarite vow and, you know, Jesus being this judge that is denying himself in order to deliver the people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, this paralytic, is he paralyzed because of some specific sin? Like, wh- why is the response to him, your, your sins, sins are, are forgiven? For- yeah. I mean, were they were was the faith of the people that brought the paralytic that Jesus could heal, or was it that he could forgive sins? I mean, did they bring him because he'd committed some terrible crime and he needed to be cleansed? I mean, some terrible crime that caused that this paralysis? Or <laughs> yeah, or yeah. I mean, is there is there yeah, he was caught in adultery, they stoned him and then they chickened out, didn't kill him all the way. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I'm but I mean it's it's I just I think I mean, because he commends their faith by by responding to it. They have they have legitimate faith. Well, what do, what is their faith? What do they believe about Jesus? And he saw did, it. I mean, yeah, 
is it just that he's a, a, a faith healer? Um, well, even, you know, I, I don't know. I've just, I think maybe, I, I wonder if why he responds this way is because this paralysis is not innocent. Mm. I, I mean, it could be. There, are, there is paralysis in the world, of course, that's innocent. I, I'm not trying to throw everybody under the bus here, but it seems like a, it seems like a strange way to start off if this guy's innocent and the first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe these people, if they had faith, I mean, isn't that at some level a recognition that Jesus is the Messiah who comes to forgive sins? Mm-hmm. Could it, maybe Could they it actually- also be that the assumption of the day was that if you had some kind of illness like this, that you must have caused it by some sin. And so he is- yeah recognizing that this is what everyone thinks and mm. it's not exactly wrong you know we suffer bodily harm and injury in this world primarily because of sin uh, yeah not necessarily our own but because we live right. in a fallen and evil world and so he is saying you're right but you're not you know not completely yeah I mean, it could yeah, be I mean, of course, like that. it could be. I, I know that that the rabbis particularly thought that leprosy was was a direct correspondence to to specific sins the person had committed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. So, well, yeah, he could just be responding to that judgmental you, kind of. You got that in what John nine too, right? Right, man born blind. Yeah, who sinned him or his parents? Yeah, it could be that. I don't know. It's. I think. Those are interesting questions. Um, I have usually taken this to assume that they just show up wanting him to be healed, and then Jesus Gives sort of more. ignores their request and goes deeper. Um, well, gives them and more. And taken it. Gives them, right. That's what I, right. And, and then also he's like, yeah, well, be courageous because your sins are forgiven. So you can suffer this cross. Mm. Like, I wonder if maybe Jesus had no intention of healing him. <laughs> if, if they would have... If they would have responded fine, it would have been, I mean, that's just what happens to us. We're not getting healed. Yeah. Right? We get our sins forgiven. And Jesus says, go bear your cross. I mean, that is that is actually pretty typical. So I wonder if like that is actually plan A, right? Hey, yeah, this is terrible for you, but you're you're going to be made yeah. resilient and strong, and I will love you through this, and you will learn to live by faith. So be courageous. Your sins are forgiven. That's what matters. And then if it wasn't for this these scribes. <laughs> so he's so, so, so horrible. So here he is. He really is uh, responding to a scoffer, um, as it talks about in the the proverbs. You know, it says on the one hand, you know, don't respond to a scoffer because you'll be like him, or respond mm, to a scoffer, yeah. uh, otherwise he'll be right in his own eyes. So here yeah. he's 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 demonstrating. Look. He has the authority to forgive sins on earth because he can do this. Right. Because they're scoffing. Well, they're scoffing. And I think also there is this, right? With, uh, with, uh, with thee, O Lord, there is forgiveness that thou mayest be feared. And so you have this, that connection to this text, right? Because mm-hmm. he forgives and then they fear that you know, God has given such authority to men. So, And I wonder, too, it's if... Uh, they they accuse Jesus of blasphemy, and and he's like, 
what I mean, he's asserting that he's divine, right? That he has this authority, and that he's the son of man, which means he's Ezekiel and the one seen by Daniel, the ancient of days, right? These very specific, right? I have the authority, the authority to do this. And that's what you should be afraid of. Because if I have the authority to forgive sins, I also have the authority to retain them. Mm. And uh, if you're, if you're, if you're messing around with this, you could be judged by your sins. So you're standing there saying that I'm blaspheming uh, and you're placing yourself into grave danger. Oh, that's really good. That's the, that's the rebuke, right? Uh, against the scoffer there. Mm. Yeah. I love that. The, uh, with, with thee, there is forgiveness that thou mayest be feared because forgiveness is in a sense, the ultimate power. Mm. Yeah. Because if you, again, right. If you have the, the, the ability to, to forgive, you have the ability to retain. And, and if you're forgiving, you're making a judgment and judgments of judges don't always go our way. So you're at his mercy quite literally, right? Yes, definitely. So is this building on Trinity 18 and the discussion about whose son is the Christ? Oh, I suppose it is. I, I'm not, I don't do that. I should. I, I never pay attention to the, every Sunday is its own little thing for me. They're, mm. they're not connected. I don't, not, not very often anyway, especially in Trinity. I mean, sure, you know, in, in Holy Week or something, I mean, there's a very clear progression, even even maybe the Sunday the Sunday after Easter. But outside of that, I don't think in that way. It's a. Do you think we should? Uh, probably. <laughs> I, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't. Yeah, no, I. I just don't know why I don't. I. Well, in the Trinity season, I'm suspicious that it's not really that. It's not really that organized or deliberate. It feels kind of. I mean, within the Sundays, you know, there's obviously deep relations between the texts. But Sunday to Sunday, they seem to be kind of arbitrary. And I've seen schemes where they're organized and explained, and I never quite believe it. They, they feel that always feels forced to me. But that's probably unfair because I've never, I've never taken it seriously enough to really look at it deeply. So I'm just confessing one of my the many holes in my knowledge. So what would it be to Trinity eighteen that there, yeah, whose son so is here? He, he says he's a son of man. Well, uh, that. This is what the Christ does, and he has a authority yeah. as a man to forgive sins. Yeah, that son of man title is really interesting. It's, I think, you know, we tend to hear, I don't think this is wrong, but I, I don't think it's quite right either, that the son of God as a reference to his divinity and son of man as a reference to his, uh, you know, humanity. It's actually nature. the reverse theologically. Right. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I mean, if you look at this, right, when, when Ezekiel, he's the one that's called the son of man all the time. And uh, I or mean, he's the one divine like the son of man in, in Daniel. Yeah. Daniel. There it's clearly the, the divinity um, emphasized. So, right. Whereas the sons of God are believers, humans. Right. So, so yeah, I, uh, but but right. To, so, but to say he's the Son of Man is to say he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, which is of course the title that was in Matthew eighteen. What do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? And then it's mm-hmm. not—is he the Son of Man or the Son of God? It's the Son of David. And then right, what's the other son? How's that go? The uh, whose son is he? 
He, oh, it, that, that's the only son there is there. He's the son of David. Well, then how yeah, is it how, that David calls him Lord? He's Lord. David's son and David's Lord. There's not two right. sons. Yeah. Right. Sorry about that. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I tr- as, as often as I'm able, try to, to build on what happened in the previous Sunday. Like you said, it doesn't always work out that way, or th- the theme that I'm looking at doesn't lend itself to doing that kind of work. But... I, I find it difficult to believe that there wasn't some planning. I don't I would find it difficult to believe that it was planned out completely that you know the first half of Trinity is this and then the middle of Trinity is that and the ending of Trinity is this. But you definitely get kind of some loose themes, don't you, throughout? Yeah, I think you're right. I'm, I'm sure there is some, there was some planning and some development that's probably tightened those connections. Um, I mean, Scammon and his crowd probably know that. I think you're right that that here it seems like a very a very kind of easy connection between you know who is the Christ and what is his what is his office and how does it function. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So if he's David's Lord and he's reigning. This is how he reigns. Right, right. By forgiving sins, mm-hmm. which I mean really is the main thing, right? That's the other thing, is that his his kingdom is a kingdom of grace as it currently is. Well, you know what? I uh, This actually ties in pretty good to Trinity 20 too also. So the next week, which will be the, the king gives a wedding banquet and nobody comes. Mm-hmm. And that's they, they cannot come because... The kingdom of grace is not the same thing as the kingdom of power. So they can get away with it for a little while till he comes and burns their cities, which is the kingdom of power. Right. So th- there is this, the, the kingdom of grace is resistible. Uh, yeah. And because of that, right, you can be fooled. These guys can, can act this way. They won't act that way, right? They're not going to say that on the last day. <laughs> they're not going to say Jesus is blaspheming. They're, they're going to say Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. Because only not to point, their benefit, <laughs> right? But there's right. So I mean, that that there is that. That's a pretty good connection, I think, with the next Sunday. Yeah. So there you go. Because the, there's the king. It's a king that's giving the wedding banquet, and they just you know don't really believe he's king and feel like they can treat him any way they want, ignore him, kill his servants, right? And then later show up without a wedding garment. I mean, they don't really believe he's king, and that's exactly the that's the state we're in. I mean, we believe he's king, but I mean, we live in the state where his kingship can be denied and it can appear as though you're getting away with it. Okay. So is it is it evil to think in their hearts that he can't forgive sins? Like just on the face of it, would it be evil? Obviously it is to say it of Jesus, but would it be evil to say of someone else that they couldn't forgive sins? Well, Are they operating if- from a position that the authority to forgive sins was not given to man? To- I don't know. I don't see because could they back to this idea that what if it's if this guy was a notorious sinner, you know, he became crippled, you know, in attempting to, you know, break into a nursery school and do horrible things to the children and 
you know, falls down breaking into the window, right? So he d- he's this notorious sinner and they all know it. If that's the reason he was brought there for forgiveness, Jesus forgives them. Maybe they're saying Jesus is blaspheming because he's forgiving somebody who's not worthy of it. Okay. I don't know. Or is it, or, they, or do they just think that, oh, no human being can forgive sins, only God can forgive sins? Yeah, I think I that's think typically how we've taken that, it. But That's I, usually, I agree, that's usually how we've taken it. That's how I've always taken it. But I'm just thinking about it differently today. But why would, but that raises the question, and I think it's the right question, which is why would Jesus, besides being able to read their minds, why would he say, why would he think that that is evil if it's true that no one can forgive sins but God and it's not immediately apparent that he's God right because he's a man why would he call that evil why would he say in why wouldn't he say instead something to the effect of I know you think this is evil because I am a man but how is how is it you know who is the Christ whose son is he how can David say then, that he is my son and my Lord. That would seem to be the thing to, that would be the thing to address. Right. The way he treats Nathaniel. Yeah. The the way they're applying this. Right. Because Nathaniel, he's like, this is an Israelite in in whom there is no guile, even Mm -hmm. though Nathaniel had judged him as not being the Messiah because he came from Nazareth. Mm -hmm. Um, So is there something wrong in their proposition from the get-go that, no one can forgive sins but God. Well, that's exactly that, why. Have they taken that to the nth, to a degree that ought not be taken by the scriptures? Maybe, but maybe it's because they don't want this guy being forgiven. That's yeah. what I was. That's where I was going with this. Was maybe the reason that he, they think Jesus blasphemes is because he wants to forgive this guy, and they mm. don't want this guy to be forgiven. So their eyes are evil because he is good. Yeah. That they that they're like no, don't forgive him. I don't care who you are. That their that their their blasphemy is they don't believe that God's forgiveness is appropriate for this mm. guy. Maybe so. He, so that but that requires, does it not, that they're coming for forgiveness, not for healing? Yeah. Well, that's that's the whole thing I was been playing with. Is that? Mm. But okay. So because I think that that is blasphemy to think that there is a human being that isn't redeemable and that the death of the Messiah will not cover, right? To hold that hatred, the whole, that's, that's the Sermon on the Mount, right? If you will not forgive them, you will not be forgiven. So yeah. if it is just, it could also be like you're saying, the more traditional kind of way of thinking of this is that they don't think a human being can exercise this divine authority. Mm-hmm. Then the reason that, that they're evil in their hearts is because they just simply, it is evil to not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So even yeah. though their kind of theological reasoning, you know, based upon what they know so far might be sound, doesn't matter in that, right, ignorance is, is no excuse for breaking Sh- the law. Sure. It, I mean, I like what you're saying. I, how does that fit with verse 6? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Yeah. Well, then I think the third thing is that... And that he's given such authority in verse 8 to men. To men. Well, that's right. I mean, ultimately, it's going to come that the incarnation actually uh, enables an authority to be given to men that did not exist before. Uh, Because now God is a man. There are things that are different, right? Like now we can have graven images of God. 
because God has a human face. And now uh, God actually, right? I mean, that's Matthew 28, but all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and therefore go and do these things. And Matthew I know, 16, but how can he call that evil to them? That's, because, that's my big question. Like, so what is, what's the Old Testament sedes that tells you that they're thinking about this in not its fullest sense, that they're leaving uh, bits out. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I think so. I think this. Okay, so the other thing is, I think that by now, because this is in Nazareth, they should have known he's the Messiah. I mean, I think they've had enough evidence. There's been miracles. There's been teaching. There's been right. So I think actually, there this isn't a case where where they just don't know. They've had enough opportunity, but. They but know that Mary it, was pregnant. They know yeah, all the right. history. They know this stuff. They, it's a tiny little town, um, and they've seen. They know Jesus' character. They know he's. A, he, they know he's a man without guile. He's not like ordinary men. He doesn't sin. Right. That's noticeable. But there's another thing, and that is this whole thing with Ezekiel as the son of man, because there's a lot of forgive. I mean, Ezekiel's weird, right? It's, you know, apocalyptic, it's got visions. and But there's a lot of forgiveness in Ezekiel. And particularly, I was thinking of uh, Ezekiel 18, uh, 25, and five, it's the whole section, but I'll start at 25. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Here now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies again. When a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live and shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair, O house of Israel, and so forth. So you've got this, you know, this talk about repentance, about faith, about, uh, and about uh, God restoring those you know, who, who repent and trust in him. And I think, that's, I think that's related to what's going on here, that they are denying the very heart of the Father. Whether the exact denial is because they don't recognize Jesus' divine nature or the fact that he's actually the Messiah, or they don't understand or think that's appropriate work for the Messiah to forgive sins, um, or if it's because they just don't think a human being can exercise this authority, in, in some sense, that's all connected to, it's all really kind of a, a very, they're all very similar errors and problems that that are you know, think of, uh, you know, what Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 16 and the giving of the keys, right? Get behind me, Satan. Mm -hmm. um, so they're, they're denying kind of the heart of the father and the purpose of the whole messianic mission. Okay. So that's why I, I think it's evil. I don't know exactly what they're thinking uh, and why they think he blasphemes, but ultimately in some ways it doesn't matter. That's it's all wrong. Right. Yeah. I, they're it, operating it gonna, under the yeah. the proposition that no one can si forgive sins but God, and I'm I'm one and I don't disagree with this obviously, but I wonder if their proposition is fall flawed in that didn't God give authority to men to have sacrifices that could forgive sins? Right? Have right. they have have they taken that statement? 
extracted it from the rest of the Old Testament in such a manner that unless you are living that perfect life that they themselves think should be lived in the manner in which they think it should be lived, that there's no hope for you. And so they call it blasphemy, but it it is really their their departure from the Old Testament that makes what they think evil. Yeah, I'm not sure they want God to forgive sins, um, even, right? I don't know if they want, they just, I, I mean, yeah. I think they really do, they do think that they actually could earn this salvation by external works, and that they are better than other men. And I think the idea that forgiveness could just be given away to them is blasphemy, whether mm-hmm. it's from God or uh, from God through a man with authority. Though I do think it is, I mean, there is a distinction, though, that there isn't the absolution in the same form uh, in the Old Testament uh, as it comes in the New Testament. I mean, you have the peace offering, <clears throat> which is an absolution, and you have the benediction, you have other things, and, and certainly they're receiving the forgiveness of sins. But this formulation where somebody, I mean, the keys are given to Peter and you know, as the representative of the apostles, but the uh, those keys weren't given to Moses. No. Yeah, I mean, you know, something very similar was given to Moses, but there is a there is a newness, right, in in the New Testament sacrifice uh, sacraments, right? Uh, you know, drinking the blood is the most shocking thing, but there is this transformation and fulfillment uh, that I I don't know that they could have really quite foreseen it. I think I think it was probably, especially the blood. But I, I think these things probably would have been a bit shocking. You mean we're done with circumcision? Wait a minute, right? That's why that's so hard to get over because the Bible says we're going to do it forever. Yeah. And the Bible says we'll never we can't drink blood ever because the life is in it. And now mm-hmm. that's the reason you want us to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there is this beautiful. I mean, I think it is. I mean, I'm not. I don't mean this just at a human level that it. But but I I mean it's for, it is at a human level. But I, I think that there is a surprise in the way that this develops and comes forth, and this opening up of these things. Because in the New Testament, these things are so much greater; they're they're beyond what could have been imagined by the prophets themselves. Uh, I don't think they could fully foresee it. I mean, they could say things like the lion will lie down with the lamb, but the way of life and the way that God interacted with them through the law, according to promise, I mean, law in the broad sense, but right through the temple and so forth. I mean, this was a beautiful, good, reliable, trustworthy certainty. uh, And and they were expecting this Messiah to come, you know, the suffering servant to make this atonement for them. But I, I kind of think they thought the rest of it was going to keep going. I mean, maybe the sacrifices would end. Maybe they foresaw that. But drinking blood, a man saying, I forgive you. I open heaven to you according to the authority given to me by Jesus. These are oh, no more circumcision. We'll have this. And we'll do it for girls, right? The, the baptizing. I mean, it's, it's shocking. Yeah, I don't doubt that it's shocking. But... There's a sense, it seems, in which it shouldn't have been shocking that he can call them evil. So, in other words, like, so if, you know, a fit Amy means to be released, right? Yeah. Should they have known? Should they have known by all of the releasing from slavery, from bondage, should they have known 
that this is exactly how God works, that he's going to use men to release them from their bondage. Yeah. I mean, this is what, I mean, he used Moses to take them out, but they were stiff necked, right? They became the cow stiff necked, just like what they worshiped um, in the golden calf. How, how's the, like, how does this not, how can he say they're evil? No, you're, I agree with you. They should have recognized it. I don't think they could have expected it. I don't think they could foresee it. But but when it comes filled, right, Cleopas and and the other, I mean, they're able to recognize it mm-hmm. and, and rejoice in it and to see that this is actually scriptural and this is what yeah. all of it has been, right? I mean, so I don't think they could foresee it, but I think absolutely it's revealed to faith. And they, you know, the spirit would, they would, they would completely recognize the consistency in this. Um, And the fact that they don't is a problem of unbelief and an unwillingness to, you know, submit to this. Though you do have, you know, you have this great opportunity in Genesis 49, but then Joseph says, am I in the place of God? And Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I wish he would, I want to say, yes, you are. (laughs) But because he is right. Because even as, I mean, as the the patriarch, really acting as the patriarch at that at that point, he's the head of the family. He's that's that's the, his vocation. But right, it, instead, what he says is, you know, God, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. And he does let him off the hook, but he doesn't pronounce the absolution the way that we do. Joseph doesn't. No, but is he saying, "Am I in the place of God that can not forgive"? Oh, I guess I haven't. Like, I wasn't prepared. You know, that just came to me. I don't. I don't know. I didn't look it that seems up for it. What? To me, that what Joseph is saying: Am I in the place of God, not to bestow the release that God has given? This is how our God works. He forgives, and so when when Jesus here says, "Look, I am forgiving. I am yeah. God in the flesh, essentially." the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins that he's saying at the same time. And I can like, as you mentioned earlier, I can retain them too. Where Joseph, yeah. he doesn't have authority to retain. Well, uh, he does have the, uh, he, he doesn't have the authority to forgive the sins of unrepentant sinners. Mm-hmm. I mean, no matter who you are, right. I can't mm-hmm. find that in Genesis 49 while we're, so I don't know. It's Genesis but, 50. Oh, is it Genesis 50? I thought it was. Okay, maybe that's why I can't find it. Did you find it? Where he I'm says that? Looking. Am I in the place again? He's talking to Pharaoh there. I don't think that's. Th- oh, no, you're right. It is. Uh, here it is, verse 19, chapter 50. <laughs> the brothers went, fell down. Behold, we are your servants. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones, which, by the way, is being in the place of God. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, I like your argument uh, when he says, am I in the place of God to be to be wrathful or angry or judge or uh, to judge you in that way? But instead, I also submit to what God has done because I believe he's good and I trust he meant it for good no matter what you meant and he used it for good. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to gainsay that with him or with you. So yeah, that's the point is that they're afraid, like 
the people in our text are afraid. Yes. Because they recognize that Joseph could do that. Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Right. If, and here's a fun little tidbit. This uh, scare pro- pointed this out. The, um, when the word in the Septuagint, where is it? Uh, when it says they were afraid, that is the word that is used in uh, Matthew at the Ascension when it says some of the disciples doubted. Mm. And so Scare was saying, and I, th- I think he's on to something, that the disciples aren't just doubting like, I don't know if this is real or not but rather they're feeling like Joseph's brothers. Like maybe Jesus is going to get us, right? Like maybe uh, we really we really deserve to be punished and maybe he'll change his mind. That's, that's the character of their doubt. I think that's probably right. Anyway, back to Matthew 9. Okay, so whatever it is, they don't have any excuse. They're, they're not okay. just mistaken in their thinking. They're actually thinking evil, right? It's not a excusable offense. Then you get that whole, which is easier to say, which is an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, because at face value, of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no proof that it worked or not. Whereas right. if you say arise and walk, right, then it's visible. But, but in actuality, I think- For Jesus. In, what's that? In actuality, for Jesus, it's, it means his death. Yeah. So it's more difficult for him to say that. Oh, that's good. I, I mean, they both kind of need his death, but yeah, but yeah, that's right. He has to win forgiveness by being. But I was thinking, even for us, right in our in our world, um, we have faith. You know, charlatans that go out and pretend to heal people, and I don't know how much trouble they get into, but we get into trouble for pronouncing the absolution. Yeah, we I mean, do, but right, for the same reasons because like they think that we Jesus right. never gave that authority. Right. To men. So it's actually, there, there's actually like amongst men, if I say arise and walk to somebody and it doesn't work, they don't really care. But if I say, uh, I as a called and ordained servant of the word, and I'll, right, I forgive you, yeah. that, that's offensive to them and they're angry. So I think it's actually harder. To yeah, say, for the person saying it. Yeah. But they think it's easy for us to say that. Right, right, no, right, and and he does, he does, in fact. I mean, the purpose of the healing is, in fact, to demonstrate that the forgiveness of sins that he pronounced on the paralytic stuck, mm-hmm. right? That it was real, that he had the authority to do it, and it, yeah. and it was, it's just as real. The forgiveness he has is just as real as his ability to walk. Yes. So, yeah. Why I like this? How about arise, take up your bed, and go to your house, um, <laughs> and, and go home. Go, yeah, I wonder if it's if it's don't stick around here with these idiot scribes. Mm. Get away from these people. Maybe leave Nazareth. Go home because why does he? Because he 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 sends him away. I mean, I've always taken this kind of vocationally. Like, so you Take come here. What? I've always taken this as like go home to to live out as a father and a husband and a son. Okay, he's Ben. Been, Go ahead. I mean, he's been, I mean, in the next verse, he's going to tell, say, Matthew, follow me. Mm-hmm. Here he says, tells this guy, go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, uh, <laughs> it, maybe his parents kicked him out after whatever he oh, did. Oh, who knows? I mean, it, I, I think it's probably has to do with don't associate with these scribes. Um, go, like you said, go, go fulfill your vocation. Uh, 
go be go be a Christian where you're supposed to be and serve your neighbor and get away from these people. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was something else that that reminded me of that I had re- that we that we missed. Now I forget. I got it written down. Let's see. Paral- oh, uh, yeah. This uh, the paralytic is a of, of course this kind of most point potent symbol of impotence, right? That he's helpless. Mm-hmm. And they, that, I think that's part of like, he's lying on a bed. He has to be carried. He can't go and he, he's presumably paralytic. He's completely paralyzed. He's got to be fed. Somebody's mm-hmm. got to wipe his behind, right? He can't do anything. Can't stand up. Yeah. So he's like this. And you do have that prophesied in Isaiah 35 with the blind will see, the lame will walk. And there are a, a couple other paralytics in the gospels and in mm-hmm. acts that get healed. And then that, that passage from Isaiah 35 about the lame walking is also cited. So yeah. it is a kind of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Typical or uh, a pattern of what, and allegory for what God does. Mm-hmm. And an allegory for the forgiveness of sins that this guy can't add anything. He can't do anything. Yeah. Right? It's totally do you make Do you make a big deal out of um, verse two indicating that Jesus saw their faith? Well, you sure did when you read it. But uh, yeah, no, I, I like that too. I, because I think that's, that's a beautiful promise that Jesus hears our prayers. Uh-huh. I mean, and he heals or he forgives this guy for the sake of his friends, his friends that bring, and of course, you know, in the parallels, he gets lowered through the roof. So they're, they're persistent. Mm-hmm. Is there, so what did he see? Is this another act of his omnipotence, or is this he just is seeing what they're doing? Oh, you know, I never. I just was a without consciously thinking it. I was see. I was assuming this was an act of omniscience that he could see into their hearts. Um, but it wouldn't have to be, would it? It could just be that. Yeah, he well, sees their faith in their actions. They're bringing him. Yeah, I would think that you'd want to stick with both of the same like if you're yeah. going to take the verse 4 knowing their thoughts or perceiving their thoughts as an act of omnipotence i think you'd want to probably take verse 2 as an act of omnipotence but yeah. if i think he's it is. seeing the just their actions right in in this way faith is seen it's not just because yeah. what comes out of the heart is we can we can judge based on what we, even though we can't read hearts the heart is made known right by by what we do but we see faith i mean we see faith in actions but i mean he is jesus actually is the object of their faith mm-hmm. so i i think that when when it says jesus sees their faith it seems to me that language implies an accurate i mean right an act part of his omniscience that he knows he's being worshiped by them mm-hmm. believed by them right I mean, he being the object of of their faith is different, uh, obviously. But but that yeah, is I, recognizable, I, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't mean that the other people couldn't see their faith. Also, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they could they could see their faith in their actions, the 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 scribes or whoever. But you know that faith could be false, or they could have been hypocrites. I mean, it could be it could be false faith in the sense that Jesus isn't the Messiah, and they've just placed their faith in the wrong person or thing, mm-hmm. or it could be that they're just hypocrites and they're going along with it. Um, but uh, since Jesus is actually the object of their faith, 
I think when it, if it says Jesus sees their faith, that's that's an acknowledgement that their faith is genuine and is received by Him and is known. I don't. I mean, I wonder if we could. This seems. It seems like. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I want to say. I, I, I mean, I don't want to say it now because it sounds so schmaltzy and it probably can't be proven biblically. But it would seem like Jesus would be able to feel those who believe in Him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I don't know why. Okay, don't quote me on that. That's uh, it. Does seem like that to me, though. <laughs> I I can't back it up at all. Uh, it, the state of humiliation does could easily do away with that. I think, but I certainly know. in his certainly certainly in his exaltation, right? He's a hundred percent aware of those who believe in him. But I guess I never thought about that in his in his humiliation. He almost can't be aware of everybody all the time who believes in him. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I've always, maybe he ta- is. Again, I've, I've just always taken verse two and four as he's recognizing as a man who is also God, but as a man, this is what faith looks like. And this is what thinking evil in your hearts looks like. I would bet you a lot of money that you would never find that line of reasoning in patristic literature on this text. Not that that, not that that's, uh, but I, you know, I, it, it's interesting that you, they, they would never, I just don't believe they see him exercising his divine rights and attributes more than we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Um, I wonder, I wonder what that, I wonder what's going on there. I kind of like our, our way that, better. That but, we, um, that we don't see is that what you mean? Well, yeah. Why? So I think that actually it's kind of in this case, I think it's a weakness on their part, which I don't usually think that I usually think they're better than us at this stuff. But in this case, like, I like that you're taking the humiliation so seriously that you don't want to assume the exercise of divine rights and powers unless they're really necessary. Yeah. Um, I just am. I'm just, I'm just thinking like he is a man. Yeah. And I think it's, and he's, I just think yeah. it's an easy, maybe it, this is the wrong way to put it. It seems to me just a cop out to say, oh, yeah, well, he's God. And so he knows. Yeah. That's the easy answer. And he's really yeah. talking about what's difficult. Right. Which no, is easier I, to I like say it. or do. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think you'd ever find that in a, um, yeah, I just don't think you'd find that in the patristic literature. I, you know, I don't think you'd really find it in Luther either. I, I would be surprised if I'm just thinking, you know, generalizing. I don't, I don't have specific examples. And I didn't read Luther's Postals for this recently, but it is kind of an unusual way of, in the history of exegesis, it seems to me a kind of unusual emphasis mm-hmm. that you're making. I think it's a good emphasis. I think you're, I agree with you. I, it is kind of a cop-out. Um, it also, I think, it, it's, it lightens his suffering if he's exercising his divine rights and attributes all the time. And it it makes it so that his experience in this life is different than ours, right? It's he's not suffering the things that we suffer. Like, well, it looks like the guy has faith, but who really knows, right? All the kinds of uncertainties that we have to live with because of our human limitations get taken away from Jesus um, if we if we invoke the divine stuff too much. Yeah. So I like what you're doing, it, but I'm just I'm just. Uh, at the same time, you know, I'm a little bit leery of, or we, yeah, leery of uh, 
doing exegetical things that have never been done before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I want to, I like what you're doing, but I don't want to stand too close to you while you do it. <laughs> and perceiving evil in their hearts. <laughs> uh, what do you, what do you make of the, my son take heart, my son? Uh, just the normal stuff. Right. I mean, it's this, obviously this term of affection, this bringing into the family. I do wonder if it, you know, if it felt insulting at times, like, you know, when people call me son, I don't, I'm not, it doesn't usually ring real well in my ears Mm -hmm. or like, you know, young man. I can't, I mean, people call me young man. I just think that's first of all, kind of ridiculous, but like, it just always feels, do you know what I mean? Am I just being super sensitive with that? No, it is, uh, you know, it's kind of like the Southerns bless his heart. Yeah, uh, right. Or, all yeah. right, my son, you know, it's a dismissive way. That's Young not- man, yeah, you know, and it's, yeah, it's like belittling or something, and it just is a weird, anyway, I don't know. Yeah, but here, of course, right, it is actually a real term of affection. Um, yeah, take heart. I, I do like that translation, take heart. That's a good, that is a good idiomatic way of saying it in English. And what a, yeah, there's an opportunity. You can preach on that. I mean, that's got that whole thing that your sins are forgiven. Why are you afraid of anything, right? Mm-hmm. Why do you worry? <laughs> Why do you, you know, try to manipulate the world? Why do you do these things? Why don't you just trust in God? Your sins are forgiven. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just trust in God? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's really really what we should do. Uh, It would make would make things. All right, let's get to the. I think we got pretty much everything there. So, doc, yeah, doctrine. Doctrine, obviously, the office of the keys, right? The whole absolution. Um, You know, there is a connection also with this text with Luther's explanation of the office of the keys. It is that particular authority which Christ has given to His Church on earth. That the New King James translates that word as power. I don't like that. It, it is Jesus has the authority to do this. He has the power also, but he's not doing this in a way that's, um, you know, outside of the order or outside of his subordination to the Father. Uh, now he's equal to the Father, of course, according to his divinity, but he does act within the within the Holy Trinity, right? <clears throat> and he is fulfilling his Father's will. So mm-hmm. the particular authority. All, the, all that, the fact that God has given this authority to men, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's all sorts of things to talk about there besides just the promise. There's also, like we already touched on it, but we have no authority to forgive the impenitent. Mm-hmm. And so the pastor really does have to make a judgment about, uh, about whether this person is penitent or not. And just coming in and saying, I'm sorry, and I want to be forgiven. I mean, there does need to be fruits of repentance, and there does need to be a confession of faith, and it does have to be judged. Now, we can be very generous with that, and we should be, right? We're not, we're not looking for people to prove to us, in a sense, but, it, but we are asking them to make a good confession, right? So, you know, I mean, the old thing is, if I stole your bicycle, and then I come to you for forgiveness, right? I mean, the expectation is I give it back, right? But I mean, most of our crimes aren't so black and white with kind of material things, so it's more difficult. But w- we do need to think about that. So it, I think you could 
talk about the office of the keys. You could talk about their misjudgment because they think Jesus is blaspheming, but then to also recognize that, well, you know, there are people that it's not appropriate to absolve. That is the impenitent, right? And, um, you know, and yeah, and then the promise. All right. You've also got this, you know, this thing about the that the sort of allegory of helplessness, which I brought up, the uh, connection of forgiveness of sins and healing is, I think, related to this connection of body and soul, that we train the soul by training the body, and mm. probably we improve the body by improving the soul. And of course, the mind is in there too. All three of these things are interconnected. And what like, what the stress of not being forgiven does to a person's body. So the peace that passes all understanding actually can bring physical health and does as well as mental health. And, and then in connection to all that, that helplessness and you know, what the, the, what's needed for the body and the soul and the mind, this beautiful take heart, right? That courage that we can actually be courageous to face what we have to because of this. So, that's a possibility in doctrine. Consoling that the prayers were heard, uh, the faith was seen, and God was moved by it, right? He actually responds to their prayers. So I don't know, you know, this this prayer changes things. It seems like the Lutherans have been down on that sometimes, but that is a, right, Hezekiah, I mean, we've got these examples that actually the Bible does speak of God being changed by prayers, even repenting because of our prayers. And the way that we experience it is that our prayers do matter and they are effective and God does respond to them. And out, you know, the hidden will of God is hidden. We've been told to pray. He's promised to hear it. And uh, we see these examples in scripture and also this language in scripture of God changing and responding because of our prayers. So mm-hmm. that's how we should approach it within the revealed will of God, not the hidden will of God, and with confidence in his word and in his promises. So I don't know, that's, I meant that to be consoling, but it kind of sounded rebuking, but (laughs) (laughs) one more correcting um, or correction. I thought, you know, and you got on this a little bit, the scribe, it seems like he's worried about pure doctrine, right? Like he's upset that what Jesus is doing does not accord with his theology. Uh, but what he's really doing is really kind of putting God in a box. He's not open to scripture and mm. he isn't reading scripture rightly. And this is a warning for us too, because we have a very beautiful, dogmatic, systematic uh, tradition and the book of Concord even, right, that's been given to us. And we we need to be open to God's will revealed in scripture and recognize that we do from time to time misunderstand or misapply things and the like. And well, that just that, right? So pure doctrine is absolutely what we're after, but because our minds aren't pure, we can get fascinated and obsessed with the wrong things and we can like the system more than reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of a good place to, to, to sort of think a little bit about equity, right? That uh, not equality, but equity. That is that Justice. there's always sort of, go ahead. Justice. 
yeah, justice, which is which is not uh, legalism that just wants to fulfill the letter of the law, but rather that takes into consideration the spirit of the law and recognizes the sort of context and situation and complications, and then is actually just mm-hmm. rather than being legalistic. So that there's kind of a relationship there. This, the Pharisees and the scribes are legalistic. They want the letter of the law, right? But I mean, they don't even understand the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So, so it seems like you could actually put the two sides or two extremes. Right? One is you don't have authority to forgive the impenitent. Right? So there, in our day, we want to be so loose. But at the same time, a reaction to that is to be extra focused on maintaining the system or the pure doctrine. Right. And so actually what we're called to is not to the right or the left of Jesus, but actually to do what he precisely says. And, and part of that is to judge on the spirit. What could you bring up examples? Like um, I know in our past we have confirmed or, let people to the table at, you know, eighth grade, but we should actually take into account these situations where some people are ready earlier. Is this an appropriate place to do that? Yeah, I think that sort of thing, right? That we, or, you know, you could even, I mean, I have admitted people to the altar, adults to the altar that have come through the confirmation instruction, the adult instruction, but because of the schedule, you know, it's going to be another five weeks before we have, before we have the Sunday where we're going to have adult confirmation. Hmm. And I'm like, you don't need to wait five more weeks. You can come to the communion now. Um, Or uh, people that I have uh, admitted because they haven't been all the way through the confirmation instruction as adults but uh, because they had, you know, got interrupted and so they didn't finish the class and then they get through everything and then they come, you know, it gets dragged out for a long time. And uh, eventually I say, and they're coming to church. And eventually yeah. I say, look, uh, I want you to finish this course of instruction and I want you to be confirmed. But, you know, as long as you're not taking communion anywhere else, mm-hmm. right? why don't you come to communion here since you've been coming to church here for over a year. Right. And so, I mean, I think to have some kind of recognition that whatever there's all these, I mean, those kinds of things are weirdly common that people just don't quite fit into the, uh, you know, and I, and there's other ways around it in fairness, you know, I could just meet with these people at five 30 in the morning every day for, or, you know, I could find a way to meet with them individually, everybody. But so you know, there could be ways I could do more work and maybe get around that in other ways, but I don't want to. Uh, but but the point is, <laughs> so, you know, there there is kind of this trying to find this. So I, I don't mean the only way is what I've done, but probably harder work on my part would be even better. But I think there's lots of situations where, you know, things don't quite fit, but we're going to recognize that the church's you know, membership rosters, not the book of life, and that confirmation's not in the Bible. Uh, and what matters is that we treat the sacrament of the altar rightly and reverently, and people, you know, are actually examining themselves and not making a false confession and, and, and so forth. So mm-hmm. I think all sorts of communion stuff comes into this. And, and also the emergency possibilities. You know, it is right that 
that we recognize pastoral discretion for emergencies where we might commune somebody we would normally never, never commune, right? So I would normally never, never commune an ELCA person in good standing at his church who believes in the bodily presence, who comes to my church on a Sunday, who went to church at his own church last Sunday, and will probably go to church at his own church this next Sunday and receive communion there, right? That's that's not an emergency. It's not an emergency, right. um, but I might, but you know, so I normally wouldn't commune him because that would be a direct violation of Holy Scripture and also incidentally what the Missouri Senate has agreed to. So I wouldn't commune an Elka person just because he believes in the real presence and he's a nice guy and says he really deep down believes what we believe and was confirmed here. That's no emergency. But, you know, I might commune him if, you know, I happen to be uh, in the hospital or he goes in the hospital, he's from out of town and he goes in the hospital while he's here and he's dying and there's nobody else to see him, right? I mean, that, that could happen. And it has happened on rare occasions because it's an emergency. Emergencies are rare, right? Yeah. We wouldn't expect to have a lot of emergencies in a career in the ministry. So unfortunately, that gets abused widely that we act as though, you know, anybody, it might make grandma mad if I don't do this, is not an emergency. And that's what's usually driving us. So you could talk about that too. But uh, other sorts of equity within the church, um, you know, I think even to some degree that the, the uh, preparation and the training for the office of the ministry, right? How much how much a pastor really needs to know what's appropriate, you know, I think is probably different in Papua New Guinea than it is in the United States. Um, I don't know. There's all sorts of things or, yeah. So in terms of training for righteousness, do you think that there's something you made the doctrinal statement that there's a connection between the forgiveness of sins and the healing of the body? Is, is there a training here that, that we need to not only help our people learn how to examine themselves? So to look at, you know, I am enduring the pains and the things that I have because I live in a fallen world and I have sin myself and I should deal with that. But do we also try to help the friends recognize those things in their friends to help bring them to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? Is this an opportunity to discuss that kind of training that, you know, someone is going through a patch and stops coming or yeah. needs extra help. And so how do I, how do I carry them to Jesus? Yeah. That's a great prayer? application. I think that's a, that's a great application. I, I hadn't thought of it, but I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. I think we just need to be more alert to the spiritual needs as well as the physical needs and of our neighbors and particularly mm. of our friends. If I love this person, how is it that I'm right? And our relatives, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, that's where we tend to be really bad. So what are the things still- like, so obviously prayer, cause you've talked about that doctrinally, we pray for them. We can actually carry them into the presence of God through our prayers. What other things were they doing? How can we take away the obstacles? So, you know, my daughter doesn't come to church because she has you know, babies that cry and they're hard to get ready in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, find out what her excuses are yeah. and see if you can, if you can alleviate them. Maybe you need to help with that. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you need to get up an hour early and go over there and help her get the babies ready or sit with them during church so that, you know, you can help 
I don't know. I mean, but I think, you know, these guys physically carried this guy there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the obstacles he had was he couldn't walk. So what do we do? It might be a financial problem. It might be a, right, uh, you know, they need help with these various things. Uh, Mm -hmm. It might be a mental health problem. They're they feel like they're being judged at church and nobody will sit with them or likes them. So, you know, you have maybe you have to try to be aware of their spiritual needs, but then also maybe particularly, what is it that is keeping them absent from the means of grace? Why do mm-hmm. they deny themselves these gifts? Or, or what do they say? They, you know, I mean, it may be that, uh, you know, they don't really give you the real, the truth, you know, it might just be excuses, but I think if we love them, why wouldn't we try to figure it out and help? Right. What if it? What if? What if? What it requires is you know you give them a couple thousand bucks so they can fix their car so they can get to church on Sunday. You know what if right. it's? Yeah. Um, is there a sense in which do you think that the paralytic knew like he needed help? I mean, obviously hmm. he knew that he needed to. Do you think the paralytic desired forgiveness of sins? And do I you, do. Okay. Um, I do. The friends, it seems, really did. Yeah, yeah. So the so the he's a willing participant, and he desires what Jesus, whatever Jesus will give. Yes, because I don't think G, even as we don't have the authority to forgive the un, the the impenitent, and I don't think Jesus forgives the impenitent. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't. Uh, uh, I don't know if I want to say he doesn't have the authority to, but but he doesn't. I mean, according to his own word. So mm-hmm. he's not going to forgive this guy apart from faith. Sure. So he, it, it, the text says that he saw the faith of the believers, and that's what moved him. But he doesn't forgive sins of unbelievers. Mm-hmm. I mean, not in the subjective sense, right, in that they actually received the benefit of it. So, mm-hmm. so I do think he was a willing participant. Is there a comfort that Jesus is – a, is there a comfort to the friends that Jesus says, take heart – child or take heart son your sins are forgiven hmm maybe so should we as fellow believers um when we see should we when we see other people suffering uh, other people other christians suffering that we should also take heart that their sins are forgiven that despite the difficulty not to make us not want to help but that this is a comfort for us as well yeah, it should be, right? We should, I mean, sometimes we suffer more from the crosses of our loved ones than we do from our own crosses, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's harder to watch those we love suffer than it is to suffer ourselves. But we, we should really commend them to God and trust that he loves them and that he's doing what's best for them. Mm-hmm. So I think we should be comforted, um, you know, in the in the goodness of his will and in the promises that he's made, whether that's that, oh, look, they, they are confessing the faith. They are coming to church. They definitely have faith. And that's, that's what I, even though they're in a lot of pain and their husband left them and blah, blah, blah. So we, we should rejoice in that. But, but also even when, you know, our children are not confessing the faith, we should still trust that actually God is good and loves them more than we do. And, and, his will will be good, right? Is there, along with the Office of the Keys, is there a place to talk about the mutual consolation of the brothers that we, this authority to pronounce the forgiveness of sins has also been given to Christians? 
Yeah, I think anytime you talk about the absolution, it's good to talk about all the forms of the absolution, mm-hmm. which would include the, you know, the general absolution as we know it in the liturgy, the preaching of the gospel, um, and uh, the reading of scripture, even Luther includes, and then of course private absolution and right. Uh, well, mutual consolation. Uh, of the brethren, which is sort of a preaching of the gospel, but then also even the direct absolution of one another. Mm-hmm. Um, what does Luther call that? But, you know, know, where one Christian forgives another. So, I mean, some mutual consolation usually just in conversation usually just means encouragement, support, right? That kind of thing. At least that's my reading of it. But in the large catechism, he also talks about, you know, if you sin against your brother, go to him and ask for forgiveness and he will forgive you. So... Yeah, I think to talk about the, the all of it um, is appropriate and good. That one thing I think we need to be a little bit careful of is that we don't equate all of them as being the same thing because they're all about forgiveness. Mm. They each have their their role to play in the life of a Christian, yeah. and one is not a substitute for another. The um, in in the large catechism, it's a little bit confusing because. Luther brings up this list of all these different kinds of ways that the absolution works in our life and how God blesses us through this. But then when he talks about it, when he talks in there and he says, when you say to me, when he talks in the first person, he's talking about private confession and absolution. Oh, this isn't, this, uh, this may not be the large catechism itself. This might be in the uh, brief exhortation to confession. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, which was attached to the large catechism. But but that's a little confusing because uh, it can be a little bit confusing because he's talking about something different there. And it's sometimes been misread as though he's just talking about the office of the keys or the mutual consolation of the brethren. But when he says, first person, you say to me, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he uses me and I, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Then he's talking about as the pastor. When you say to the pastor this, and the pastor absolves you. This is the, this is the um, kind of fullest expression of the office of the keys or of the uh, absolution, and should be the most the most used absolution amongst us. Actually, mm. yeah. I mean, that's my opinion. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I would say th- this is the sort of absolution where we ought to be living. The others are more specific to circumstances. You know, I step on your toe, you know, then I say to you, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Mm-hmm. That's a very kind of specific incident that whereas private confession and absolution ought to be the normal practice, not for extreme situations, not for when I'm feeling extra guilty or I don't know if Jesus loves me. Right, but but the way that we normally exercise our faith, it should be totally normalized, and part of that is so that actually, if we get into an extreme situation, like I murder somebody, then you know I then I will go to confession and absolution because it's what I'm used to doing. It's the old we sink to our training, we don't rise to the occasion. So, mm-hmm. private. Sometimes we talked about private confession and absolution as though it was only for extreme situations. If you really felt guilty or if you didn't know if Jesus forgave that particular sin, so it was really weighing on you. Whereas I think we should read it as, you know, the particular sins that bother us are actually the besetting sins, the sins that we that we commit by habit on such a regular basis and seem impossible to overcome. 
so not the outrageous, you know, craziness. I, you know, I got, I got drunk, you know, uh, but I don't get drunk all the time. It was, you know, a one-off and now I feel really bad, but more of, you know, I just gossip a lot. I lust a lot. I covet a lot. I do these things all day long and I, I, I catch myself doing it. I just, it doesn't seem always even as though they have any real terrible consequence though. I mean, they obviously could, but you know, the, the sins that are really we're struggling with on a, on a daily or an hourly basis, those are the sins for confession and absolution. Is there a, an application here on why believers should go to funerals like to, to carry, you know, you're, you're carrying the one who can't take themselves. Hmm. Um, and they're hearing the, the take heart, his sins are forgiven. Or is that a stretch? Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, he's going to hear a rise, <laughs> take up your bed and go on the last day, but uh, there's a bit of a delay there. So I thought you were trying to connect it back to Nain, which was a couple of weeks ago. No, the, the I mean, that, yeah, I, I just was thinking like, you know, here, so if the, if the take hearts on your sins are forgiven, if that's not just a blessing to the paralyzed one, but also to the friends, is this, yeah. is, is not going to hear that this person whom you're carrying in to this funeral, that his sins are forgiven is also a blessing to you, the member who is a, a, a friend by virtue of faith. I know it was a stretch. It just was a question. It <laughs> seems, it seems to me that there are less and less people who go to funerals, particularly if they don't like, they're not part of the family. Yeah. And you know, if this is a member and maybe we should prioritize, like we need to be there for the family. It, it would be nice. Would be nice to do that, be, and it would be certainly. It would be. I don't know. I have people around here love funerals. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we we have some people that don't miss a funeral. You know, I'm, you probably do too. It's, mm. but yeah, you're, it would be good to to spread that right because it there is a. I mean, there's a it, these people that love funerals around here love them for the right reasons. Yeah, um, and they will come to funerals of people they don't really know. I mean, they're mm-hmm. members, so. And yeah. maybe we should hold them up as an example because it's it is of comfort to the family that's mourning, and it is also of comfort to the to the one who comes to yes. to just to to remember and to confess this. And well, I didn't really know this person, but we went to the same church, and we believed the same thing. And he's going to heaven, and I'm going to go heaven too. No, I think that's right. There's there is a lot of comfort. In- mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts? <laughs> Any anything we didn't hit, like where, what direction you're really going? I think we, I think we hit it. I, I don't know what direction I'm going. Yeah. Okay. All right, Dave. Thanks for your time and thank you as always. <laughs> All right. Bye, Jason. 